1: Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that says today's show starts in T-minus whenever it feels right. Here is the captain.
0: Yeah, and it always feels right. It's good to be seen. Good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a
1: friend. You know what does feel right? How about a pastry stout today we are very happy to be featuring three's co-company this is an imperial stout with coconut vanilla beans milk sugar and oat milk this is a triple collaboration from the brewery microphone brewing and moxa brewing garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five and you know who else is good good company our friends right here first up a cheers to laura In Salem, Oregon And a big shout out to Jeff in Danville, Indiana Next we have a cheers to Ashley in Akron, Ohio
0: And weirdly we have a donation coming from two dogs One named Theo, one named Penny Big shout out to their dog mommy Allison from Amesboro, Mass And a big we like your jib to Tracy from LaPorte, Texas
1: And let's stay in the great state of Texas and give a shout out to Michelle in Austin. And last but certainly not least, we have a shout out to Gemma all the way over in East Ridding of Yorkshire, United Kingdom. Everyone we just mentioned, they helped us fill up the garage fridge for this week's shows. And for that, we thank you.
0: Yeah. B-W-E-R-R-U-N. Beer run. For everything true crime, check out truecrimegarage.com. While you're there, sign up on the mailing list. Hey also give a five-star review also check out the store page and also donate to that beer fun and that is enough of the business
1: all right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime mother, Tracy Sissom goes missing seemingly vanishing into thin air later her vehicle turns up under mysterious circumstances this case is not without witnesses nor evidence in fact some of the items found in Tracy's vehicle provide much concern but could also provide some answers a strange mystery couple is linked to this case but are overshadowed by a violent man, then a body is found by pure happenstance in rural Indiana. The remains are unidentifiable, so decomposed that detectives cannot determine the gender of the remains. But detectives were convinced they were dealing with a homicide. The body was wrapped in a quilt and tossed into a wooded ravine. Someone discarded this individual out there in the woods like garbage. Who could do such a thing, and why? Now it's 17 years later, and this case is still unsolved. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of Tracy Sisson. go back to Thursday, October 7th, 2004. This week's true crime story takes us to a rural area of the Great Hoosier State, Indiana. Today we will be starting off in Brown County, Indiana, near the Bartholomew County line. Brown County is in the southern portion of Indiana, but Brown County is pretty much in the center of the state. On this Thursday, we have a man named Pete Jones driving on Nelson Ridge Road east of the town of Nawbone. That's an ominous sounding town name. It was nighttime and it was dark. Suddenly, his heart jumped as a deer leapt into the road. He slammed on his brakes. His tires screeched as the brakes locked up, but it was too late. Deer versus truck is never good for the vehicle or the deer. The two collided with a loud crash. The truck came to a stop, and the deer somehow managed to run off. Pete was shaken and stirred. Cautiously, he drove off, glancing around to make sure there were no more oncoming Bambies. When he got home, he got out of his truck, and he realized that one of his running lights was missing. Of course, it must have come off in the collision. He decided mainly because these lights are $75 a piece, he would be going back during daylight hours in hopes that he could recover the missing running light and that it would be in working order when he locates it. So the very next day, Friday, October 8th, Pete drove back to the area where he thought he had hit the deer, looking for the car part so he could possibly have it reattached. He parked so he could get out on foot and look around for this missing piece. But just as soon as he got out of his truck... He noticed a foul odor and his first thought was that of the deer, but quickly he thought to himself that smells like decay and a deer could not have decayed that quickly. Now here's one of those heart stopping, life changing moments. Pete saw something unusual lying in the ravine next to the road and it was not his truck light that he was hoping to find. This was something large wrapped up in some kind of blanket. When he opened it to take a look and wished that he had not, he saw death. Because unfortunately, it was a very badly decomposed body rolled up in a quilt and tossed into the wooded area along the roadside. The authorities were called in immediately. Because the call came in from a location so close to the county line, officers from both Brown and Bartholomew counties arrived on the scene and worked the scene together.
0: Yeah, I think I would have just called law enforcement. I don't think I would have had the guts to open up the blanket.
1: What we have here is basically an unidentifiable murder victim. The county officers know that immediately. This person did not kill themselves, then roll themselves up in a quilt and get to that wooded area. But what happens here, Captain, is that the remains are so badly decomposed in such a advanced stage of decomp that the detectives from the sheriff's department can't make out the gender of the victim or an age so not much really to go on as far as the initial investigation goes the body was removed and taken off to the brown county morgue the scene was roped off and secured and again officers from both jurisdictions blocked off the road and scoured the scene for any possible evidence that they could find. Now I'm playing devil's advocate here, captain, when I say this, but I've seen some photographs of this location where they recovered the body from. And this is an ideal location to dump a body. This is as country road as it gets. Brown County only has about 15,000 residents for the entirety of the county, which is 216 square miles.
0: Well, you're saying this body is very badly decomposed. What makes you think that they think it's a homicide because it could be like an accidental death or maybe even a overdose where somebody then takes the body and
1: dumps it out into the woods. Those are all certainly possibilities, but what everything that is going to point to for the detectives is they know somebody else knows something. Mm -hmm. Somebody out there, place this body in this location. How the person died could be a mystery and is a mystery at this point in our timeline, but we know somebody put them there. Now, Bartholomew County is much more populated with about 72,000 residents back in 2004 for 409 square miles, but that is still not a lot of people. So you have this area where There's not really anybody living in the immediate area and not a whole lot of people that live in either county. But this Nelson Ridge Road is, as said, very country. I'm talking no streetlights, no signage. There's woods on both sides of the road. So if you needed to dispose of something or uh, wish that you could do it under the cover of darkness, that sort of thing could easily be achieved at this location. The other part of it too, captain, is that one might expect something to sit there and go undetected for a good amount of time as well.
0: Is this a road that people would travel often or is this some place that maybe only locals would know?
1: This is a road that's kind of by the wayside that you wouldn't, you wouldn't need to travel this road if you were just passing through the area. Right. The Not other so thing, you
0: can jump off of the interstate and it hit real quickly.
1: Correct. And the other thing, too, is there's no reason, there's nothing on this road in this location that would make anybody want to stop there. Right. There's not even a stop sign. Placing something here is good for the offender or for whoever needs to dump this body because, A, if you were doing this at nighttime, you could see headlights off in the distance. Right. You would have minutes notice, not seconds, minutes notice that somebody will be coming your way soon. And so you could stop what you're doing or move on. And again, there's no reason to stop in this location. So if you're looking for something to go unfound, this is where you put it. You lose it right here and hope nobody ever finds it. Mm -hmm. Now we said that the body was taken to the Brown County morgue, but the autopsy was actually performed at the University of Indiana School of Medicine Forensic Pathology Division in Indianapolis. Try saying that three times fast. Now here is what they were able to determine. Our victim is a female victim between the ages of 25 and 35 and remained unidentified. After the autopsy detectives released that the victim had a tattoo of a chain with a flower located toward the back of the victim's ankle, adding that they were looking at all of the missing person files throughout the entire United States, but so far have not been able to determine the identity
0: for a second. I thought you were going to say the victim had a tattoo of a chainsaw. I was thinking that's a pretty badass
1: tattoo. That's right. Chainsaw tattoo sales just went way up, way up. They were asking, law enforcement was asking if the public, you know, if they knew anything about this case or know someone with a similar tattoo that they could call the Indiana State Police. They included the following statement in the request for information from the public, that because of the manner in which the body was found. Detectives believe the woman was killed somewhere else and dumped at this location. Prosecutor Jim Oliver said, quote, In most murder investigations, detectives work really hard in the first 36 hours to solve the crime. Our investigators are frustrated with not having many leads to follow up at this point. End quote. That statement was made to the Brown County Democrat newspaper editor Linda Marginson five days after the body was found. So as we already knew, but the prosecutor confirming the detectives would work around the clock trying to get evidence and leads for the first 36 hours of their investigation. But here we have five days into this homicide. And because of the nature of the case, it sounds like we have some evidence, but no leads to move on and have an unidentified female homicide victim.
0: Yeah. All the evidence they have is coming from the autopsy or Coming from the scene in which they found the body.
1: Now, for us, Captain, we don't have the autopsy report. And frustratingly, authorities have never released the cause of death here in this case. The body in the blanket was that of a young woman, but she could not be identified. We don't know how long the Emmy believed her to have been dead. But based on the advanced level of decomp, we would say probably quite a while. And investigators were not certain how long the body had been lying in the wooded area where it was found. Although, one AP Associated Press article citing Brown County Prosecutor Jim Oliver said that it had been there for up to eight weeks. Okay, so we know that she was found on October 8th and been there for possibly up to eight weeks, as the prosecutor's saying in this article. Which would mean roughly... August 14th, 2004. So these remains wrapped in a blanket were placed there as early as August 14th, 2004.
0: Well, like you said, this is a tough scenario for law enforcement because they don't have a lot to go on. It's not like there's been a missing girl in the area for years and they go, oh, this is probably her. They don't have a lot to go off of.
1: And even after you find the body, Captain, you know that whomever placed the the victim there now has had some time to cover their own tracks you've not been able to identify the victim Mm -hmm. you can't check on the victim's inner circle can't find out where the victim came from obviously you find your victim in brown county if you don't have anybody that matches a vague description missing from your county you know you're going outside of of your box there immediately and and like you said there's if they had any leads, they're drying up real quick based off of the victim not being able to be identified, as well as the prosecutor saying the the victim could have been at this site for up to eight weeks.
0: Well, but they also did leave something behind that is identifiable, the blanket. There could be some fibers or some DNA left or even pet hair, mm-hmm. so... That is a mistake that maybe the killer did make.
1: I'm wondering if this individual or the people that placed the victim there, I'm guessing that they thought that the body would remain there for quite some time before somebody found it. Yeah. Now, this would have been late fall. We've said this on the show plenty of times because it's just one of the hardcore facts of true crime that... Spring is typically when bodies are found in wooded areas. This is because hunters go out after the winter, the long winter, short winter, whatever kind of winter you have. And that's when they start going out and walking these country areas. And that's usually typically when something's found. So, had this guy not hit this deer and lost a light, there's a chance in my mind, anyway, that they wouldn't have found this body for several more months. Well, he also
0: becomes a suspect. That's for, true. For a short period of time. I I would assume that they would start with him and go, well, is he just telling us this as a ruse? So now let's go figure out where he was. What's at, his alibi?
1: Yeah, at the very least, show me some damage to your truck. Yeah. Because you're you're right, Captain. That's That's the first thing you got to hone in on as an investigator. You're going, okay, well, this guy has... He found the body, so he put himself at the dump scene. Why was he there? Yeah, Nobody, again, this is a spot where nobody really has a reason to be in this location, so why was he there? I'm sure he would have been looked at. What we do know about the cause of death, which, as we have said, has never been addressed publicly, well, we know that this case was treated as a homicide very quickly, and right after the medical examiner viewed the body, Now, per the Northwest Indiana Times, Brown County prosecutor Jim Oliver said investigators were treating the case as a homicide, although the body had not been identified at that point. Quote, I don't think there's much doubt foul play was involved here. End quote. That's what Oliver said. Okay, so it was evident to someone, presumably the medical examiner, that this woman was murdered, that she was a murder victim. And even though the cause of death has never been released, an insider in the case told us that the cause of death is listed on the death certificate as strangulation. So the ways that this could be evident on a badly decomposed corpse is if there was some kind of ligature still on the body or marks in the flesh from a ligature or if the hyoid bone was broken, which usually results from a violent choking.
0: But like you said, the body's so badly decomposed. How did they go about trying to identify her?
1: Right, because that's your number one concern. That's your first objective here to hopefully get an ID on the victim. Now, Brown County authorities looked into missing persons reports within the county, but no missing persons report had been filed in the county that matched the description of this female victim that they found. So they reached out to other nearby jurisdictions They provided a description of the body as a young white female with dark hair and a tattoo still visible despite the decomp. And as we stated earlier, the prosecutor described that tattoo as a chain around the right ankle with a rose or some kind of flower on the back of the ankle. The other interesting thing, though, here, Captain, and this is something that we just don't see law enforcement do very often, but something you brought up, which is an interesting angle and one that I'm curious as to why this angle is not pursued more often. You mentioned that one thing that should be more easily identifiable if it crosses the right person's eyes would be that quilt, right? They keep describing this thing as a quilt, not a blanket. quilt to me is like handmade, passed down throughout the years. Maybe grandma made it. Maybe your favorite aunt made it. Usually these are family-type items.
0: Yeah. Sometimes made from articles of clothing that the
1: family owned. The captain is quite the quilt maker. Mm -hmm. Everyone should know that. But again, we don't see law enforcement do that very often. Do we, where they let's take a picture of this quilt and there, there's probably reasons why we just don't know what they are. But I question that from time to time when you seem to be so desperate to, to ID this body you think you'd be pulling out all the stops here and, and post pictures of that, uh, put it on the news, in the newspapers, and what have you.
0: Well, we had a handmade curtains that they found at the scene of Amy Malovic's death. They didn't release that information for years.
1: Yeah. It almost felt like a lifetime between the time that she was found and when they showed us pictures of the curtain. Mm-hmm. Well, finally, Captain, on October 15th, a missing persons report came into the Indiana State Police, or ISP for short. This report came from the police department in Indianapolis. A woman named Tracy Sandlin Storm Sissom was reported missing in Indianapolis. The missing woman fit the description of the body found in Brown County. Tracy's dental records were obtained from her family and sent over to the Indiana state police. It's not at all clear why it took such a long time to definitively ID the body because eventually that's what happens. We we are going to ID the body as this Tracy system, but it was not until December 17th that an announcement was made by the Indiana state police. This is the lead investigator on the case, Chris Fears, that indeed the body they recovered from the woods was Tracy Sissom. Tracy was just 33 years old when she was killed. Detective Fears learned that Tracy had last been seen on September 20th in Indianapolis. So this fits the timeline of the body that had been there for up to eight weeks. But September 20th is the last day that she was seen And I have other information that we will, we will go into as we go along here. And based on that information, I believe she was killed on or very near the date of the last time that she was seen. September 20th is a little more recent than I had expected based off of the quote up to eight weeks comment. Now, back to something real quick before we move on. The missing persons report was sent by the Indianapolis Police Department to the Indiana State Police on October 15th. It turned out, per the Indiana Star newspaper, that Tracy's family reported her missing the day after she was last seen, so September 21st. So this missing persons report wasn't really connecting to anything until nearly a month later. But for some unknown reason, her missing persons report was not connected to the body found on October 8th until at least a week after it was found. Part of that could be, though, Captain, it seems like the, the hard push to release some information in this case and to tell the world that we found a body that we cannot ID didn't really come about until about five days after they found the body. So that would account for some of that time. But again, it was not proven to be Tracy for another two months. There's clearly a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes here that we just don't know about. And a lot of time was wasted due to delays and lack of communication in this case. while your subscription is active.
0: From the East Coast to the West Coast, cheers, everybody, and cheers to you, the crispiest.
1: Cheers to you, Captain. Cheers to the people in the back. I have a quick announcement here. I have an event coming up raising some money for the Ohio History Connection and for the Porchlight Project as well. Thursday, August 26th is the date. The event is called Uncovering Ohio Cold Cases, a conversation with myself and James Renner. This is a webinar, so an online event. So wherever you are and whoever can attend simply by purchasing a ticket, and you can purchase a ticket at OhioHistory.org. Again, that is Thursday, August 26th, and ticket information is at ohiohistory.org.
0: So be there or be square.
1: Be square and be there. We don't care. Mm-hmm. All right, Captain. This case takes place in 2004, the Tracy System case. And as we said, it takes quite a while for them to even identify the victim. I will say that I'm a little surprised at the how recently she had last been seen. Right, The body's discovered on October 8th, and she's reported missing on the 21st of September as having been seen the day before, September 20th. And I'm just basing this off of the prosecutor's statement of, well, the body could have been there up to eight weeks. That makes me think that the M.E. or, or on that day when the body is discovered, when they are first looking at the body and the scene, they're going, okay, well... We're seeing a level of decomposition here that shows us probably that the victim has been dead for six weeks, maybe up to eight. And really, we have a situation here where it was just a few weeks between the last time that she was seen, that she was alive and well, and then later found dead in this wooded area. You wonder if the body was stored or kept somewhere for some period of time that may have increased the decomposition on the body or I didn't get a chance to check into this or look it up maybe it was a particularly hot few weeks there late that summer going into fall and that could have increased it as well there could be any number of factors there but uh, it's it's curious to me
0: but once they have the identification of the body and they know it's Tracy the case just sits there for about two years
1: Yeah, this is going to bring us to about 2006 on our timeline here. And I'm sure that there, well, I shouldn't say that I'm sure. I know that there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, just nothing that made the news. So no real news coming out for about two years. This until the Indiana Star reported that family members have many unanswered questions, but they are not getting many answers from the Indiana State Police. Investigators are closely guarding many of the clues detectives did not tell the family how Tracy Sissom died, but insisted that the death was in fact a homicide. Not even the family was told the official cause of death of the young woman in the quilt. According to the article, this is, I mean, not only did you lose a loved one, but you, you naturally have so many questions when somebody dies or in this case is murdered at such a young age, but now you have a situation where you've not only lost that person and you have that giant hole in your heart, but hell you got kind of a hole in your head too, because you got no answers to go along with what happened to, to your daughter or your sister.
0: Yeah. And it makes you wonder if, because she was found like in a different location, if law enforcement's just not taking it as serious as they should.
1: I think they were. I think there's probably a situation where it's just, It might be complicated, right? It might be a complicated investigation.
0: Yeah, I'm just saying as the family, you're you're sitting there going, and and we don't know what kind of communication law enforcement's having with the family, how, because in some of these cases, like Delphi, it seems like they're very open and letting the family in a little bit as far as what investigation tactics they're using. Mm -hmm. So we don't know what kind of communications happening between law enforcement and the family.
1: This is true. And in this case, we have the Indiana State Police as well that we're talking about in Tracy Sissom's case. So let's go and get to know our victim a little better, shall we? Because that's the first step in trying to get a lead on this thing. So who was Tracy? Tracy Sandlin Storm Sissom was born on December 27th, 1970. She was a lifelong native of Indianapolis a city that you and I have been to many times, Captain, a great city. Tracy graduated from Howe High School in 1989. When she died, she left behind her parents, Rebecca and John, her sister, Shelly, and her brother, John Jr. She also left behind an ex-husband and an estranged husband and three children, all of whom lived in Indianapolis. According to her obituary, Tracy was a member of Holy Spirit Catholic Church and owned and operated Sugar Creek Rottweilers, where she bred and cared for her show dogs. Tracy had a great love of animals, obviously, and worked with several veterinarians throughout her life. Tracy got married when she was young and had two girls in quick succession. Her husband, Richard Storm, filed for a divorce in October of 2000, and the divorce was granted in December of 2001. Richard and Tracy were awarded joint custody of their girls by the Hancock circuit court. Meanwhile, during the whole divorce proceedings, Tracy got married again, getting hitched to a Michael system on January 25th, 2003. Then she gave birth to their son, Shane. So at this point we have Tracy, Michael, her new husband, baby Shane and Tracy's two girls sharing a house. This is the house that Tracy got in the divorce settlement from her first husband, from that first marriage. But that living situation didn't last long. By the time Tracy was reported missing in September of 2004, Michael and Tracy had split up and had been split up for quite some time and were estranged from one another. All right, let's get into Tracy's disappearance. There is minimal reporting about her disappearance, but what little there is all says the same thing. So this is all confirmed. Tracy was last seen September 20th at 30th Street and Post Road in the far east side neighborhood of Indianapolis. This was an apartment complex where Tracy was living at the time, but she was in the process of moving out. So she is there on this day, September 20th, To retrieve her belongings because she is now moving in with her mother who also lived in Indianapolis. On this day, Tracy called her mom around 7 p.m. and told her that she was gathering the last of her things and that she would be home soon. I've not been able to determine, Captain, if this call came from a landline or a cell phone. Right. She said that she would be home soon, but she never arrived. At the time, Tracy was using her father's 1995 Chevy Blazer to help her move her things. The vehicle was also missing. So when they noticed that Tracy is missing, they noticed that the vehicle is missing as well. The vehicle is not found at Tracy's apartment.
0: And like you said, he, she's moving away from her husband.
1: Well, she lived in the apartment by herself. They had already been separated for quite some time by this point. Mm-hmm. And she's moving back in with her mother. Now we have zero information whatsoever on how and when Tracy's family discovered her missing status and noted that the blazer was also missing. So we know that she spoke with her mom on the 20th and we know that the following day, a missing persons report was placed, was made by her family. Right. So sometime after 7 PM on that night, And sometime the next morning, they probably decide, hey, she should have been here by now. It's been overnight. We're not only missing her, we're also missing the vehicle that was lent to her to help her move her things. You also have to wonder, too, if they went out there, and presumably they did, out to Tracy's apartment to look for her and the vehicle, if they were able to access the apartment Maybe they're seeing things in there that's causing concern as well. Maybe you know when you hear your loved one tell you, "Hey, I'm gathering up the last of my items and mm-hmm. I'll be home soon." Well, you could open up that front door to the apartment, and the apartment tell you a different, a different story. Yeah,
0: and it's a good thing that they didn't hesitate to report her missing.
1: So that's the best that we can narrow down the actual time of her going missing. We know that she made that phone call on at seven p.m. on. The 20th, we can't say for certain, if anyone in her family went to the apartment to look for her, I presume that they did. That's just natural reaction. That's what most people would do. So you have to wonder if they did this captain, did they find the front door locked, unlocked? Uh, did they find things still inside the apartment? Was there any sign of a confrontation or struggle? Those answers to those questions. We just don't have any, any idea. We do know that someone in her family reported her missing on the day after she was last seen. This, again, the 21st. We also have no information on Tracy's cell phone or if, in fact, she even had one. It was 2004, so it seems likely that she would have had one. If so, and if the police were able to obtain any helpful information on the cell phone, we don't have any idea. This is information that's not been released to the public. But all of the reporting on the story discusses where Tracy was last known to be. So that is not a question in this case. We know that she was last reported to be at her apartment. This information came from her mother, who said that Tracy called her from there. If there was a cell phone and it showed that she was at some other location after that time, you'd think the family would have said so publicly when they have spoken out about this case.
0: Yeah, I wonder what the family's feelings are about the ex-husband because that obviously is the, I think, even though they were separated for a time period before this, like you said, she moved into an apartment by herself, and now she's moving back home with her parents. You go, well, I mean, that's the number one person you look at.
1: Right, and just with identifying the body, identifying the remains, how quickly we see from there being no leads to now all of a sudden, here in the garage, we can see these suspects start to emerge, right? They, they step out of the shadows and present themselves a little bit. We have her first husband that she's been divorced from for some time.
0: Mm-hmm. But there you could gotta be look some at, kind of custody you gotta, issue.
1: You got to look in that direction. Mm-hmm. You have the most recent husband who she was in the process of splitting up with and moving on in her life. And then once you get to know the victim and the victim's inner circle – that may present some other options as far as suspects or persons of interest go. And then as you pointed out earlier, you always have to consider the person who quote unquote found the body.
0: Yeah. Or the possibilities that Tracy was working on husband number three and who would that individual be?
1: So right away, captain, when she goes missing, when Tracy goes missing, there's no sign, really no clue as to where she could be for about, two weeks. But then we get the missing Chevy Blazer that she had borrowed turns up on October 4th in the vicinity of LaSalle and Michigan Avenues. So this is before the unidentified body that we later learned would be Tracy's remains is found. This is a few days before her body is recovered. So a deputy pulled the vehicle over or although it's not clear whether he was actually on the lookout for it. You know, did we know she's reported missing? We can assume that they reported the vehicle missing as well, but were police actively looking for this vehicle? We can't say that for certain. So the way this story goes is that this officer, a deputy was going to pull over this Chevy blazer or attempting to pull over the vehicle. Anyway, is what we should say here, because Per the Indiana Star, a Marion County Sheriff's Deputy spotted two unidentified people in the blazer on the city's east side. The male driver made several abrupt turns and lane changes before he and a female passenger ditched the vehicle in the 500 block of North Oakland Avenue and ran away. So an unknown couple, a man and a woman, are in this Chevy Blazer.
0: Right. The one that Tracy was borrowing from her father.
1: Correct. She's missing and the vehicle's missing until this point. And the male is driving, but before they could successfully pull over the driver and and pull over the vehicle, the driver makes some smooth maneuvers and they're able to flee the vehicle before the deputy could catch up to them. Now a partial box of ammunition was found on the back seat of the vehicle. This is according to the report says no fingerprints or other evidence were found in the vehicle said an Indiana state police spokesman.
0: But since we don't know the cause of death, I mean, this is great evidence to have once you're doing the autopsy, because if there is, if she was killed by gunshot, then these were possibly uh, the ammo that was used.
1: Well, and that's not what you want to hear too a partial box of ammunition. You want to hear a full box of ammunition.
0: Yeah. Just bottom still in the cellophane.
1: The blazer was abandoned by a couple, about eight and a half miles from Tracy's apartment. And this is just one of those really weird things. No one knows who the people in the blazer were, or at least if Indiana state police does know who they are, they've never said that they we've identified these people or we spoke to these people or we know who they are. Right. Another thing that was reported on, but that we know very little about, according to the Indiana Channel, I keep saying Indiana every time I see the word Indy. So according to the Indy Channel, State Police Sergeant Jeff Deckard said one of the system's neighbors reported seeing a suspicious vehicle. This is interesting. A neighbor reported seeing a dark SUV or the Sergeant... Just clarifying here, or they thought it was an SUV. We've not narrowed it down to a specific SUV, or even eliminated a pickup truck, or even eliminated a pickup truck with a camper shell," said Decker. But again, if anything came of this, we don't know. So
0: the old creepy camper.
1: Yeah, think about this, Captain. We this is what we know here. We know that leading up to finding Tracy's remains, they spot the Chevy blazer being driven by two unknown individuals who are able to successfully get away from the cops long enough to park and flee on foot. We don't know if they've ever identified those people. And then we have this statement of, well, on the last day that she was seen neighbors, I want to, it says a neighbor, but I've seen some reports that are, Similar to this, and I wonder if it was more than one person because in other reports it says neighbors uh, reported seeing a suspicious vehicle and in, uh, in describing it as a possibly a dark SUV. So it looks like someone either intercepted her after she left her apartment that night with all of her things, or somebody got a hold of her at the apartment.
0: Yeah, and we're not getting reports, like you said, from the family to let us know that, oh, her apartment was filled with her her belongings. And so when they abducted her, or like you said, intercepted her and the vehicle, because you're also stating in the vehicle, it's not like we're seeing piles and piles of her belongings. Right. But that doesn't mean that they didn't intercept her in a different location and just dump all those materials somewhere.
1: The vibe I'm getting, though, with that ammunition, that partial box of ammunition that's found on the backseat, is that the family is probably telling law enforcement that that did not belong to Tracy, right? Because the way that they state that, and we know how closely they've held information in this case and what they've chosen to release, and it's been very little, but they chose to release that information.
0: Well, and you're also, because she's borrowing the vehicle- You go, well, that ammunition didn't belong to Tracy and didn't belong to Tracy's father.
1: Correct. And now you have to wonder, okay, well, could we trace this ammunition back to a person? Because if we could somehow create a paper trail to trace it back to a person, that person might be the one that's responsible for her death. Again, I believe, I firmly believe that she was killed either that night or very soon Uh, After she went missing on the 20th, this vehicle is not found until October 4th. So we have a situation here, Captain, where we have this weird unknown couple driving it, but also enough time has gone by that you could say there's a good chance that somebody else may have been in possession of this vehicle at one point, especially right after the murder. You have to wonder, too, would the killer have been brazen enough to use the victim's vehicle to move the body you can use the
0: term brazen or you can use the term stupid
1: let's let's create a word that's both um, mm. yeah you have to wonder but it doesn't seem like again it's a situation where the words that they're choosing to tell us in this case make it sound like that might not be a suspicion by investigators They they may have tried that angle and came up with nothing. There's also been reports that are similar to this, that state that there were, that that are a little more in depth about the the fingerprints. Remember we said the ammunition was found, but there's no fingerprints found in or on this ammunition or in the blazer that they called into concern. So was it wiped down? Was the vehicle wiped down or was it just, Whoever drove the vehicle or moved the vehicle wasn't in it long enough to leave behind a whole lot of evidence. You would expect to find some evidence of Tracy having been in the vehicle at some point. Maybe that muddies the waters a little bit on whether the body was moved in that vehicle. But I'm just getting the I'm getting the vibe here, Captain, that that's probably not what happened in this case.
0: Let's sum up that timeline a little bit so the listeners aren't confused.
1: Yeah, because we were playing detective along the way as we were telling this story. Captain, the way that this thing breaks down is just like this. Tracy goes missing on September 20th. That's the last time that her family... Speaks with her. That's the last time they know that she is safe and where she should be. The following day, they make the police report. They, they filed the missing persons report. It's 14 days after Tracy was last seen that this blazer that she was borrowing, the Chevy blazer is located eight and a half miles from Tracy's apartment. Tracy system. Her body is then located four days later her remains were found 70 miles from her apartment. And as we know, she had been dead for long enough to be decomposed to the point that dental records were required to ID her. And that someone else was driving that blazer after her death.
0: And like always, we want to hear from you, so make sure you go to truecrimegarage.com and check out the blog on this week's episode. Also, if you need more True Crime Garage, check out our bonus show called Off the Record. It's on Stitcher Premium, and you can also find a link to that at truecrimegarage.com.
1: And join us back here in the garage. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter.